Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Welcome to today's version of the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. My name is Hannah Patterson, and I am your host today for today's episode of our podcast. I serve as the vice president of our Care Dimensions operations here at NetSmart, and I am so excited about our guest today, Christy Piles from In Your Corner Consulting, a company that NetSmart collaborates with and works with on our EVV needs. Today, we're going to be discussing electronic visit verification and implementation within states, We'll spend some time covering what it is, the challenges, tips and tricks from our guest, and also understanding and allowing Christy to share some of her experience. Christy, thanks for being with us today. And can you give us a little bit about yourself? Sure, Hannah, thank you for having me. So I do have a bit of a diverse background. I did start in law enforcement some odd 20 years ago, but in the process, I got into healthcare fraud investigations, which pushed me to the Ohio Department of Medicaid. They needed someone to help develop their electronic visit verification program for implementation and to also build the operations. So I went from being a police officer and an investigator to helping them build their fraud, waste, and abuse tool. And through that, I've learned a lot of lessons, not only about fraud, waste, and abuse tools, how to implement that, but also the impacts that happens when you start involving the providers and those they care for. And I felt like I would have more of an impact on the community if I started my own business and worked with providers and with EVV vendors and states to make sure that we're trying to avoid some of these bumps in the roads, I'll call it, as, as I did during some of the implementation. So that's an extremely unique background and super excited uh, to have you. When you went through the implementation, obviously, in Ohio, can you share some of the challenges that you experienced, obviously, with working with the state, additionally extending into managed care organizations or MCOs as they roll this out to their individual providers? Oh, absolutely. One of the things that we really tackled is, and from the beginning, was stakeholder pushback or misinformation. You have a lot of things being said on Facebook and social media that may not be accurate, but may also frighten a lot of people, which drives them to really not want to participate. And the last thing that you really want to do is to have people stop getting care or providing care based on the rumor mill. So it's really important to communicate with your provider and your recipient community often so that you can try to dispel some of these myths and that they can have a good understanding and opportunities to provide feedback on your implementation. So you're making sure that you're not coming at it from one perspective, but that you're using this as a partnership approach so that everyone can come out of this better. One of the other issues is provider training. Some of the providers will wait until the last minute, which is understandable. Everyone's busy and they've got their hands full. They wanna make sure they're providing good care. And if you offer training at regional locations, that's great for some but that still causes other providers to have to travel and they just don't have the means or the time to do that. So I found that online at your own pace training seems to be the most popular. But again, providers do sometimes wait until the last minute, which causes some kind of overload for your call center. They wait till your go live date, they start trying to use it and realize that they didn't take all the training that they needed to, or they just don't understand. So then they start calling your call center so that they can get help through training, which is really not what your call centers are there for. 
when you implement new technology, there's always going to be an issue, no matter what technology it is. And you really want that call center staff to have the ability to notice when there's a pattern so they can put tickets in to fix the issues that are happening. But if your call center is bogged down on training issues, then you may miss some very significant technical problems that may be happening. So it's just really important to try to get your providers engaged early so that they can get that training and try to reduce some of that overburden on your call center. That was um, some of the biggest issues I think I had in my implementation. Yeah, and did you, during that implementation, as you brought that up, did you pilot or did you have a subset of the providers that you worked with, with the state that you targeted for having adequate or effective training so then we could, you could, you know, rinse and repeat that through the, the remainder of the state? So in my implementation, I did it in a couple of phases. The first phase was fee-for-service only, and the way the system was set up, not just EDV, but also the billing system, we didn't have the ability to pilot. So we ended up going live, but not impacting payment. So it was really just a soft launch, I guess you could say. But I think the mistake that we made is we had a lot of classroom trainings, we had online training. There was an abundance of training methods that providers could use, but we really started seeing that the classroom training wasn't as utilized as we had hoped. And also providers had a couple month gap between when that classroom training happened, if they went early, to when we went live and they had access to the system. So some providers who really wanted to get started early and to get a good handle on this, ended up having a month or two before they could actually get their hands into the system to use what they learned. So for phase two, we decided that included the managed care. We decided we would like for this to be more of a just-in-time training approach. So we also wanted a training environment because that's very important. So we tried to schedule the training a little bit closer to go live, but also provide the providers a training environment where if they took classroom, they could log in and participate along with the trainer. So they're not just hearing it, they're using it. So it did seem to be more effective, but I do recommend the online and training environment because that, that just really overwhelmingly seemed to be the most popular approach. Yeah, absolutely. So, so from the implementation, can you provide or can you give the, the listeners on the line today any tips and best practices from your experience as you just alluded to a little bit? Sure. So one of the things that I, I'm sure I irritated a lot of people that I worked with because I'm a planner. Oh, actually, people in my life I consider me a planner. So not only was I thinking about, well, okay, this is our first project meeting. How are we going to interface? What all these connections do? And, and learning technology as I'm learning how to implement at the same time, I'm also thinking about operations because I know at the end of this implementation, I have to get a team up and running. So that enabled me to make sure we had a rule in place by the time we went live. We had staff in place. We had policies and procedures in place. So we, we had an operations unit ready to take the ball and run once the implementation was complete for phase one. So if you think operations alongside implementation, you may avoid a lot of hiccups because you may not you may get down the road in your implementation and realize that you made a decision that doesn't work once you go live. So that's, that's one of my biggest pieces of advice is just make sure you're kicking the can down the road and understanding what happens once you actually flip the switch. I think one of the other things that we really benefited from, and I have heard across the country there's different ways this is being done, but every state has some type of regulating authority. 
we invited our Medicaid Fraud Control Unit in early so they could help provide feedback on some report, some reports that we were building, help provide feedback if a decision that we were getting ready to make really impacted them and their abilities to help enforce the laws built around Medicaid fraud. So inviting those investigative authorities in early helps you make decisions that not only reduce the impact to your stakeholder community, but also make sure that EBV is going along the intent that it was meant for, for fraud, waste, and abuse. You really want to marry those two together so that you come out with the best outcome. So you bring up kind of that partnership. It just ties the two together. So bringing in really the fraud department from the state and having them coordinate and be a part of the implementation and championing on behalf of providers really worked out well in your experience? We did, not not only with the Medicaid fraud or regu regulatory authorities, but also the stakeholder community themselves. We found out a lot of very good information. And I, in fact, I was told I might be a better advocate <laughs> than a state employee because I could see what the providers were going through. And I wanted to make sure the best of my ability that they were impacted in the least possible way. And because at the end of the day, it's about making sure people are getting the care that they need. And if you don't make sure your providers are able to perform the services that they need to perform, then you're going to impact those people that need the services. So even though fraud, waste, and abuse is a big piece of EBV, you really need to keep your eye on the prize. And, and that's the person who needs to get the services because this is what this is all about. Every dollar lost to fraud, waste, and abuse is a life impacted negatively. So I think it's, it's really about that partnership approach and how we can get a system that makes sure not only the good providers have a better records and accounting that they can do so they don't have to wait until the end of the year to gather everything together, but also to make sure those providers who may not be doing what they're supposed to be doing either does it or we replace them with a good one. So it's, it's really a community coming together to make sure people are getting the care that they need. Absolutely. And as you started implementing EVV in the state, did you see other maybe operational challenges or things that brought to light during the implementation that really couldn't be overlooked during the implementation that wasn't specific to EVV, but just process driven that you ex exposed, if you will? <laughs> yes. One of the things, and I'm seeing this with my uh, some of my clients and as well as with NetSmart, we have a new system, it's bright and shiny, coming into a state's IT platform, but not all of those other IT systems are bright and shiny and new. They may have been built a long time ago, and they may have some issues that have had Band-Aids put over them because it worked at the time. But when you implement new technology, you're going to uncover the places that you didn't fix before or maybe weren't able to. So even though it's not really EBV-specific, it's like getting something new in your home and realizing the rest of your decorations don't match. You really need to make sure that your systems can work together because the, the older technology or the, the technology that maybe wasn't built to accommodate this, EBV is going to uncover all of those issues. That's really interesting and hopes that the listeners that are participating in this are, are at least going to be prepared um, in that fashion. So thanks for sharing that. What would you say, kind of transitioning, what would you say would be an additional value to EVV in states, you know, really beyond compliance factor of the 21st Century Cures Act mandate? Do you see other areas of opportunity to express value for providers and to the states? Yeah, at the end of the day, you have healthier human beings. I think that once providers who may not have had a great business operating system before, you're handing them a, a system that will help keep track of their 
visits, help keep track of their payroll. You know, when you have claim submission through your EBV, your providers now don't have multiple logins. You know, do they go to the aging website and submit their billing? DODD, do they log into their system and submit billing? Through all the MCOs, are they going to log in through all of their individual systems? When you bring it all in-house to one system where they can log in, schedule their visits, complete their visit, submit their claim, see what happened with their claim, you're really reducing the administrative time that providers may have to spend through all of your payers submitting payments. So you really have, it's a one-stop shop when you have that type of technology. So I think for providers who are going to use the NetSmart system, they're going to have really an end-to-end system that kind of takes away all that paper that they had to before. But on the state and MCO side, you really get a holistic look at what's happening with your member base. Are your providers working overtime where you could approve some type of authorization for a second person to come in and help? You know, are your people maxing out their units every month? You know, maybe they need more. You're going to see, you know, what kind of hospitalization statistics do you have? Are the more EBV services they're getting relating to the less hospitalizations? You're able to do demographics by region to find out, okay, is this region receiving care for home health-related care for this specific diagnosis? You know, there's just so much data that comes along with EVV, which I understand we also have that in your, maybe your MMIS system, but you don't have all the data in your MMIS system that you do in your EVV system. Like where are services taking place? You know where the person may live, but maybe the majority of their care is provided at work. So perhaps we try to get their person-centered plan around where they receive their care the most. So it's really being person-centric and making sure that people can get the services they need and the data to help you get there. EVV data can really help drive policy and data metrics that you really didn't think you had before. So I think there's a lot of benefits as a payer to the type of data that's, that's available just to try to improve people's health care. Absolutely. And and did you see kind of an extension on that? Did you see the way or a difference in how the state was communicating to its members and to its providers within the jurisdiction to to assist in the adoption? I mean, how did how did the state operate from a communication plan? So it was really interesting. We we actually discovered we had ways to communicate with our recipients more than we thought we did. Um, We had an IVR system at the state level where we were able to send text messages and do message-driven robocalls, for lack of a better word, so that they would be aware that there's a change. We also used our vendor to send emails blasts to the providers so that they would know that there's a change coming up. We really went more from just sending the regular snail mail to being more technology-driven. So emails, stakeholder meetings, I think the Department of Disabilities actually had a Facebook town hall every so often. So I feel like we're, you know, government can sometimes be very fragmented and one hand may not talk to the other as much as they should. When you implement a technology that impacts a wide consumer base, you really bring a lot of the payers together so that they're talking and trying to get the same message out. So I saw a lot of collaboration amongst payers that I'm not entirely sure was there before on this level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, such great information for the listeners on the line, especially if you're 
part of a state agency and organization from a government perspective that hasn't gone through the full implementation and are using perhaps a state system. Thank you, Christy, so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I know we've been hearing so much about concerns on implementation and the technology advancements that, you know, some of the users in the field and the providers that are performing these specific services don't have the technology, but it sounds like the collaboration and partnership between the providers and the state level and the communication plans that are put into place really allow an effective adoption and scale to really move into really, you know, 2021 and the 21st century mandate. I'd be interested to see, you know, how other and the listeners are seeing how technology can truly be beneficial. Do you have any additional thoughts for the listeners today? So I think if I had any parting words, it would be to everyone involved. So for the providers and the member community, all I say is be patient with your states and payers. This is a federal mandate, and if they don't do it, they do get a reduction in their federal participation, which could impact services down the road. So this is something that states have to do. And I've now worked with four different states, either through clients or personally, and every single one of them have had the the members and the provider community in mind, and they're trying their best to make sure they don't impact you negatively. So I think having patience with your state and your payers is a big deal, but also for the payers, have patience with your technology. You're asking vendors to come together and make things work, and sometimes that can take a little bit of time. So the more time you can give your providers to acclimate to those changes, the better. So I think um, just having patience with each other and understanding at the end of the day, we all want to make sure people are getting their care in the best way possible. So I think just patience and be a community are the biggest takeaways. Absolutely. Thank you for for segmenting that too and and really calling out the collaboration and patience as we as we navigate the waters. So again, thank you, Christy, for joining this episode of the Care Threads podcast on behalf of NetSmart. And thanks for the continued collaboration that you and your organization have with our company. For more information for listeners, please go to ntst.com. And thanks for joining this episode of the Care Threads podcast. Have a great day. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.